0: Welcome to the Sleep Charming Podcast, the podcast where I help you drift off for a good night's sleep or simply take a moment to relax. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating. So sit back, take a deep breath, and let me read you an old story. Mel felt as if he were floating on clouds in the deepest, most intense dark he'd ever experienced. He tried opening his eyes, but nothing happened, only a sharp pain. Little bits of memory flashed back, and he tried to figure out what could have happened and where he was. The last thing he could remember was the little lab hidden back in the mountains in an old mine tunnel, remote but only an hour's drive from the city. What had he been doing? Oh yes, arguing with Neil again. He even recalled the exact words. Damn it, Mel, his partner had said. We've gone about this as far as possible working with animal brains. We've got to get a human one. We can't, Mel had disagreed. There'd be enough of an uproar if the papers got hold of what we've been doing with animal brains. If we did get someone in a hospital to agree to let us to use their brain on death, they would close us up tighter than a drum but our lab's well too hidden, they'd never know. It wouldn't work anyway. The brain might be damaged for lack of oxygen, and all of our work would go for nothing. Worse, it might indicate failure, where a fresh, healthy brain would mean success. We'll never know unless we try, said Neil, almost violently, dark eyes glittering. Our funds aren't going to last forever. Mel had turned his back, and was leaning over the tank, where the latest brain, that from a dog, was lying immersed in the life-giving liquid, a thin flickering line of light on the oscilloscope behind the tank, the only indication that the brain was alive. What had happened then? He thought hard, until the sharp pain and growing headache almost made him lose consciousness. Either he'd passed out, or something bad had happened. Maybe the cave had collapsed the concrete walls of their lab, although he didn't see how that could have happened. He became aware of voices, faint at first, then growing stronger. He strained to listen, and just when it appeared that the words had become distinct enough, they faded away. He waited, hopefully, until they came back. This time, he could understand words and parts of sentences. Connect this first, and... No, be careful. Too much voltage would ruin everything, and we'd have to... Where does this connection go? Here? The other voice boomed in, and then deep vibrations, feeling as if they would shatter his brain. There was a frantic quality in the words. No, no, you fool, don't! A penetrating pain niped through Mel's head and he tried to scream, but heard nothing but a buzzing sound. He welcomed the loss of consciousness as it blanketed him. He struggled back to consciousness once more, and a voice calling over him in a monotone, Mel? Mel Carson? Can you hear me? Mel? Mel Carson? Can you hear me? He listened intently, recognising it at first as one of the voices he had heard. He tried to move, but could feel no response of his legs or arms. It was like being buried alive, and he tried to call out for help. He must have lost his voice, because he could still hear the same call. Mel! Mel Carson, can you? It broke off abruptly, then came back triumphantly. You hear me, Mel? I can see! Again, Mel tried to call out, without success. The others warned quickly. Don't become alarmed. We're still working on your voice. Just try to rest. Mel suddenly realised that he'd been listening to Neil, and a wave of thankfulness swept over him. There had been a cave-in then, and he'd been injured. Neil was speaking again, a note of professional regret in his voice. I'm sorry it had to happen this way, but there was too much tied up in this project to lose now. A growing realisation and horror began to seep through Mel's mind. Neil continued, after a brief pause. The sine wave jumped. I see you must realise now. I had to do it, Mel. After all, you aren't dead, you know. Just your body's gone. Your brain may live for hundreds of years. Why just think you'll be able to... Oblivion again claimed Mel. Once more, Mel was floating on clouds and this time, the sensation was exhilarating. He tried moving his arms and legs to see if he could swim through the velvety darkness, but failed. A faint glow began to appear ahead of him, and a low rumble of voices began to echo throughout his mind. Full realisation of what had happened swept over him, and he struggled to regain his sanity. The voices were louder, he recognised that of Neil, who was saying, Is conscious now, easy on the voltage, remember last time? A brief pause, then louder. Mel, I see that you can hear me, listen carefully. I've tried out several of my own theories, that's why you can hear, and in just a moment, I'm going to give you eyesight. We're having trouble with the voice. The light began growing intensely and hurt his eyeballs. Mel remembered then, depressed, that he had no eyes of his own. Even at the thought, he tried to shut his eyes, which only caused his brain to ache more. He tried completely relaxing in an endeavour to capture the floating sensation once more. Ah, that's better, approved Neil's voice. I see that the brainwave has smoothed down. If you'll just accept what happened, Mel, we should be able to work together, Figures began to form in the white mist. As they became stronger but out of focus, he saw Neil, bent over a control panel, carefully making adjustments and glancing frequently at the leaping line of green light across the scope in front of him. He felt a surge of hate sweep through his brain and saw the green line jump violently. Neil's hand jumped instinctively towards a red covered switch. At the same time, he flashed a glance towards a tank that was barely within range of Mel's vision. He realised almost at once that it must be the same one in which his brain was resting. The full, sickening realisation of what had happened to him hit him, and he almost went over the black outline. The Neil's face loomed square in his direction in hate, the most intense he had ever experienced brought the green line that represented his brain output up to the full level. His brain sent impulses out to the nerve ends that had controlled his arms and legs. They felt as if they were attached to him, but paralysed. His mind felt clearer and sharper now than it had ever been before in his life. He determined to analyse his new mental capabilities, carefully in the hope that he would find means of striking back. During the next few weeks, only his hatred for Neil enabled Mel to keep his sanity. The first empty feeling that the future could hold nothing for him but horror gave way to planning and scheming. His mechanical voice was perfected, operated by the nerve ends of his brain, much as his original vocal cords had functioned. It enabled him now to assist in his own rehabilitation, By suggesting improvements or solutions to mechanical aids he could control, the steady growth or realisation of his mental powers were amazing to Mal. He realised that they must have been inherent in his subconscious all of the time. Only his loss of body brought them out now. That plus the fact that he required practically no rest if the stimulants pumped into the tank were sufficient. This last was the clue to his use by Neil it became apparent that his erstwhile partner planned on using him to the fullest possible extent. First Neil brought in a problem concerning a new type of paint to absorb rays of the sun and convert them into electrical energy. Not until he had studied the problem and given Neil the answer. He immediately brought up the subjects. What about our partnership agreement on profits? he asked. Profits! repeated Neil with a nasty smile. Why, where did you plan on going? For once, Mel was glad that his voice was flat and devoid of all inflection. It kept the other from seeing the rage that made him want to do something violent. You know what I mean, he insisted doggedly. Unless you want to admit murder, we're still partners. Neil laughed and said, That's right, of course I can draw any and all funds that I need, but if the authorities ever check on your disappearance, they'll find that a separate account has been opened in your name in the city. All you have to do is go in and withdraw it any time you want to, he chuckled, then he grew serious. Don't get any ideas, he warned. We've been spending most of the time during the past couple months getting you in shape for your intended function. I'm going to bring more and more problems into you, he explained further. I've opened an engineering consultant service in the city, and this paint formula alone will bring us all the business we'll need. He pretended to be busy at one of the computers being installed, but Mel could see that he was glancing out of the corners of his eye, at the oscilloscope for indication of a brain reaction. Mel had learned several weeks ago that he could control the output of his brain and had been very careful to conceal the fact from Neil. His partner said, "'Doesn't my attitude bother you anymore?' Mel's mechanical voice rolled out, "'When you destroyed my body, you destroyed all my emotions. If that's the way you want to do things, that's the way it will be. But the ethics... I know what would happen to me if you turned me over to the scientists. I'd be a freak, and treat it as such. I owe nothing to the world. Swell, enthused Neil, this time his face twisted into a grimace of pleasure. I've got a lot of plans that you'll fit into. Experiments had been made with muscular control, and they discovered that Mel could govern an electrically powered table, controlled by shortwave radio. Another eye, that could swing in a 360-degree circle, had been mounted onto it and broadcasted its information to Mel's optical circuit. A mechanical arm had also been installed on it, and Mel spent long night hours when the lab was quiet, perfecting his control over it. Before long, he was as much, or if not more, proficient with it as he had been with his own arms. He began laying his plans. The first thing he needed was a weapon. Getting his control cart out of the cube was easy, since Jenkins, the only assistant allowed in the entire laboratory, had left his key lying on the table one morning. It had been but the work of a moment to wheel over, pick them up and conceal them. Jenkins had spent a frantic hour in search, but finally went into the machine to make up a new set. He had first cautioned Mel against letting Neil know, almost fawning in his gratitude when Mel promised. He searched the entire lab the first two nights, but discovered that Neil had taken the revolver he had kept in a drawer of his old desk. It would take too long to try and machine another one, although their machine shop had proven its capability of churning out anything. A knife he discarded as too clumsy for his means of control He then carefully considered steel dart shots from a tube by compressed air or carbon dioxide, but reluctantly abandoned that idea also. Since he had a machine's limitations as well as advantages, he'd have to begin thinking less like a human. So, the first thing to base a weapon on would be the material most plentiful in the lab. That was, electricity. Once determined on the line of his endeavors, He briefly marvelled again on the still unexplored potentialities of his brain. The weapon would be mounted on his own cart, and electricity would either be broadcast or self-contained. For mobility, he decided on a power pack. The weapon itself evolved so easily that he wondered why no one had thought of it before. Special type condensers built a battery charge up to over a million volts for a split second. This charge, invisible until it hit an object more solid than air, was contained in a very narrow beam by strong screens of opposite polarity. The entire sequence of operation was almost instantaneous, and the bolt was more in the nature of an electrical projectile than a continuous beam. He decided that the unit, resembling a flashlight, could be mounted in a concealed spot under his eye, so that it could be filtered at whatever he might be looking at. Now that he had a means of defending himself, Mel felt more at ease, but at a loss for his next step. Merely eliminating both Jenkins and Neil would gain his revenge, but what then? He could always notify the authorities but mentally flinched at exposing himself to the world as a freak. He had hardly begun to lay his plans before disaster struck. Neil came in early one morning and had Mel begin working on a problem concerning a new type of steel that would combine structural strength with the lightweight qualities of aluminium. Mel energised his calculators that were electrically practically part of his brain He briefly wondered why Neil appeared so restless, wandering around the room with his hands behind his back, studying everything. Then the problem became so intriguing that he completely forgot that anyone was in the room. His first inkling that anything was wrong was when Neil straightened up from the cart with his twisted smile on his face and exclaimed, Ha! Mel's first startled conjecture is that the other had discovered the special weapon. He tried to rotate the lens so that the weapon would point at Neil, but could see by other stationary lenses in the room that the one on the cart remained motionless. The same was true of the mechanical arm. In fact, the entire cart was dead. "'I pulled the main power fuse,' said Neil, a slight smile on his face. "'I suppose you thought you were going to get away with it completely.' Not positive as to how much his partner knew, Mel decided on silence as his defence. The smile disappeared from the other's face, and he continued, slowly. Something must be wrong with your reasoning. I knew something was up when the power company's statement showed an unusually high increase in power consumption. From there on it was easy to read the meters at night myself, and then the next morning, what were you up to anyway? Mel still maintained his silence. Okay, if that's the way you want it, said Neil more harshly. He walked to the end of the tank, and Mel felt his brain telegraphing warnings to several nerve connections not yet again in use. Neil reached out to a valve Mel recognised as controlling the minute amount of chemicals that served to nourish the cells in his brain. Relays were connected to it that regulated the injection of oxygen proportionately into the fluid. He turned it slightly and then began watching the oscilloscope closely. In a matter of seconds, Mel felt his sharp senses begin to dull. The oscilloscope blurred until, by great effort, he brought it into focus again. He saw that the height of the wavy line denoting the strength of his brain output was abnormally low. Feeling alright? asked Neil in a mock anxiety. He turned the valve back to its correct setting, and almost instantly Mel felt better. That's just a sample of what can happen if you force me to it, warned the other. A little more of a turn, and that super brain of yours would be garbage. Only I wouldn't do that, of course. There are a few more experiments I want to make before your brain dies. Knowing the vicious nature of his partner, Mel decided to talk before the other goaded himself into some unplanned action. "'Don't forget the fable about the golden goose that laid the golden eggs,' his voice rolled out. "'There's still a lot I could do for you, you know. Or not.' He saw with relief that the anger receded from the other's face to be replaced by a look of cunning. "'I almost forgot,' said Neil. I have another surprise for you. He went to a circuit near the master calculator that he himself had installed only several days ago. All the master components were open, a rheostat appearing to be the primary control. Mel had decided at the time that it had to do with voltage regulation of the calculator, since there had been trouble with it. Neil placed his hand on it and then turned his head in the general direction of the tank and said, just in case you get any ideas of not cooperating, I can use this for persuasion. He cranked the vernier just a trifle, and agony knifed through Mel's brain. It receded, leaving a slight ache. Not much voltage, Neil was saying, with satisfaction, but judging from the way your brainwave jumped, I don't imagine it felt very good, did it? You win, was Mel's only comment not wanting another jolt. Never before had he felt so helpless and completely at the mercy of another. He realised more and more that he had less defence than a newborn baby, which could at least kick and wave its hands. He could do nothing except try and retain his sanity and wait for his day to come. Good, approved his partner, his manner indicating that it was the most natural thing in the world that Mel should give in. Just in case you forget, I think I'll keep the cart disconnected so that you can't do anything to harm yourself at night. His manner abruptly turned business-like. Now then, that paint formula story got around, and we've got a lot of business to handle. Most of it's routine for you, but we'll drag it out and sock them plenty. A couple of items we'll copy after you've solved them, and say it couldn't be done. Mel missed the cart more than he thought he would. It was much like the time when he was a boy. He had a broken leg and had to stay in bed for several weeks. He was forced to turn in on himself. The real turn in the development of his mind, and above the level he thought possible, came about as an accident one day. Resting, with nothing to do, he had the full room in vision with the stationary lenses. A flicker of motion caught his attention. And careful waiting, disclosed it to be a small mouse that had somehow gained access to the laboratory, and then into his room. Welcoming any change in his routine, he watched as the small creature scurried round the room looking for something to eat. Several times Mel amused himself by causing his voice box to rumble, making the rodent scurry around madly for a hiding place until the imagined danger had passed. Eventually it became used to the noise, and not even talking affected it. It disappeared from sight for several minutes, and Mel had just begun to wonder if it had a nest in the equipment when it reappeared on the top of the calculator, near the electrical prod that Neil had used on his brain. Remembering the searing jolt it had given him, Mel watched anxiously as the mouse pushed an inquisitive nose into the still-exposed components, He became more concerned as the animal became more intrigued. Not only was there danger that the mouse would push down on a delicate relay and close it, but he could conceivably short out the main power supply. The result wasn't pleasant to contemplate. If it didn't permanently damage some of his brain cells, then the pain might drive him into insanity. He tried shouting, but the mouse paid no attention to him. He called first for Jenkins, and then Neil, until he remembered that his partner had said they were going in after some special equipment. When he watched helplessly, the mouse stretched out and touched a relay point. Instantly, pain knifed through his brain, and he became aware of a roaring sound that he realised was his voice blaring out. The extra loud and continuous blast of the sound had caused the mouse to withdraw nervously from the relay. Something about it had made him determined, however, and as Mel was barely recovering from the first jolt, the mouse moved back. Mel wished desperately that the cart had been left in operation, so that he might at least use the sound of motion or the mechanical arm to frighten his tiny tormentor from the vicinity of the relay. He watched intently, as the mouse came closer to the points, oblivious to everything else in the room. As it almost touched the points, a violent surge of hate cursed through his brain cells, and he was surprised to see the mouse flung violently back down to the floor. It lay there motionless, and he finally realised, with thankfulness, that it was dead. As the pain from the jolt subsided, to the point where he could barely feel it, He began to wonder what had happened. The amount of voltage necessary to hurt him was so small that nothing beyond a direct short across the primary power would have affected the mouse. He began to analyse everything preceding the point where the mouse had been flung from the top of the calculator. A check and a recheck brought the same answer. One that he at first refused to believe. His thoughts had been responsible. Further contemplation convinced him that, while his thoughts had undoubtedly been responsible, the mental power itself had not been enough, as pure brute force to accomplish the task, but must have struck at the rodent's brain itself. That would have been enough to convulse the animal's muscles and make it look at first as if some outside force had hurled it to the floor. The stolid Jenkins was somewhat perturbed when he found the dead mouse. But how could it get in here, he demanded, querulously, and then as if in sudden thought, and what could have killed it? Mal suddenly decided that it might be better if the other were set at ease, since even Jenkins could dissect it if he became curious enough and might find enough to make Neil suspicious. I saw it yesterday, he said. It didn't say anything, since it was interesting and was company for me. I noticed that it was moving more slowly today. And seemed to be weaker, it must have starved to death, nothing to eat in here, and he couldn't get out. yeah, agreed the other, picking it up and throwing it into a waste-paper basket. The explanation had evidently satisfied him since he went about his routine tasks. <laughs>